0: Well, good evening, well, good evening, everyone. Good evening and welcome once again to Lenten Live. Uh, it's so good to be together tonight. Um, just a big thank you to Dan and Chris and for for giving those announcements. Uh, I'm a little disappointed, though. I didn't get to see the students uh, walk out like baboons. I felt like that would have been good comedy. I'm not, I'm not sure how a baboon walks, uh, let alone a, a human impersonating a baboon. But it's good to be together as we look at uh, this theme of in my place. Uh, last week, if you weren't with us, was week one. That's where Kurt kind of took us through 2 Corinthians 5.21, just to sort of set the stage for this series that we're doing during Lent. Um, and as you can imagine, it, it's, it's difficult to go second after week one goes so well. Um, <laughs> Not only because Kurt is the senior pastor and my boss, but I don't know if you've noticed this, but Kurt has like a great quote game. He just seems like he has the perfect quote for everything. He was quoting really smart guys like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Carl Truman. And I made the mistake of already having what I was gonna say prepared, and I'm looking down at my notes and I'm like, I've got a quote from The Lion King, I've got a quote from (laughs) from Star Wars, so. It's like going to see a PhD doctor and then next week Dr. Seuss comes, so. But I like Dr. Seuss and hopefully uh, you do as well. So like I said, this uh, series is called In My Place and I wanna start off by just talking about how this theme sort of came to be. Uh, And I wanna start off by talking about guilt. Uh, Stay with me. Um, I wanna ask the question, what role does guilt play specifically in religion? Uh, For some of you who grew up in a strict religious household, you might say it has a huge role to play. You might look back on your childhood and and, and think, man, a lot of the things I did were motivated by guilt. For those of you, you might have grown up without any religious background at all, and you might say it has no role. You might be offended at the very idea, the very fact that I'm bringing it up right now. But no matter your background, I think we all feel a sense of guilt. I think it's a part of the human condition. And I think more importantly is what we do with that guilt. What we do with our guilt is very important. My story is that I grew up in church, I've been participating in Lent and and going to these kinds of Good Friday type services my whole life. Uh, But it's my observation that this tragic irony takes place when we go to these kinds of services. Because the gospel is the good news about what Jesus has done on the cross. And the gospel is supposed to take our guilt away. So why then does it seem like sometimes we leave these kinds of services feeling even more guilty, feeling even more weighed down? I think it's because we see Jesus and we see what he's done for us. And we, 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 we rightly conclude that he is the answer. But sometimes our, our religious mindset can get us into a trap where we think in terms of, wow, I, I really owe Jesus. I really owe him big, so we strive even harder than before to be good people. But these services are important because the gospel is not for good people. It's for bad people like myself. And so it's my hope this evening and and every Wednesday night during Lent that something would change in the way we view these kinds of services. Our logic would not be so much, wow, I owe him one, but thank you, Jesus, for this gift of salvation. And so tonight we begin a journey together, a journey through Jesus' last days on the earth. Uh, Starting tonight and for the next six weeks, we're going to be walking through Matthew 26 and 27 to, to see his path. And as we walk this path with Jesus, we will see what he went through all in our place. Tonight's theme specifically is that Jesus was betrayed in my place so that I could go free. Jesus was betrayed in my place so that I could go free. We're going to be looking at this theme in light of Jesus being betrayed by his friend Judas in Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 through 56. If you have a Bible, feel free to flip there. If if not, just feel free to listen uh, as I read. That's Matthew 26, 47 through 56. God's word says, While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Don't you think I can't call on my father and and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have to come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you didn't arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the security it provides us. We thank you for the light it provides us. We thank you that even now, as the students are in their small groups, that that we are working from the same book, that we have such confidence that you have something to say to us tonight. And so God, as we look at this theme of betrayal, God, I pray that we can um, become a little vulnerable even within ourselves. God, to recognize the ways that we have betrayed ourselves and ultimately betrayed you. God, we pray that this would not lead us to despair, but that the gospel message and the cross would become large to us, and that we could see you for who you really are. God, we love you. It's your son's name we pray, amen. Betrayal, betrayal. It's an ugly word. What do you think of when you think of the word betrayal? Maybe you think of people throughout history who have sort of turned their back on their country. Maybe you think of athletes leaving your favorite team for a rival. Maybe think of middle school gossip. Betrayal makes me think of a movie I saw a long time ago. It was a movie that deeply impacted my childhood. It's about a savage traitor who overthrew his own brother to inherit the throne. It's a little movie called The Lion King. Now, I would offer a spoiler alert, but that feels a little silly considering this movie came out in 1994, so I'm just gonna assume we all know the general plot. Um, but you already know the scene I'm referencing, right? When I, when I talk about The Lion King and I talk about betrayal, it's when Simba's father Mufasa is clinging to the edge of a cliff and his brother Scar comes along to help. Mufasa says, Scar, lend me your hand. And stooping down to Mufasa's ear, Scar whispers, Long live the king. And he throws Mufasa off a cliff and he kills his own brother. I bring this up because in the movie you'll remember that as Scar whispers these words, there's this look on Mufasa's face, the zoom in on his face to show that his eyes are wide open like he's seeing for the first time. Maybe you can relate to that look. I think that in the face of betrayal, there's always this eyes open moment where your eyes are finally open to the situation and you're finally seeing people for who they are. That this person who was once your closest friend has now turned their back on you. The Lion King is is for children, uh, but it reminds us that this moment of betrayal is deeply powerful and deeply hurtful. Betrayal has this way of sticking with us, doesn't it? You can take the knife out of your back, but it seems the pain only lingers. As we look at this evening's story with more detail, I wanna offer two elements of every betrayal that make it so painful. First, there's the obvious element of broken trust. Betrayal is painful because you chose to trust this person. You saw them as your closest friend and confidant, only for them to pull off their mask and reveal that they were your enemy the whole time. It's painful because it makes you question whether the friendship was even real. It sort of paints and colors your memories so the happy moments aren't happy anymore. And you sort of wonder if, if you were ever friends in the first place. And this ties into the other reason betrayal is so painful. Betrayal is painful not only because of broken trust, but also because it causes regret. Regret. There's no person alive who has experienced betrayal and is okay with it. Have you ever thought about that? If you had the power to go back and change things, victims of betrayal would change their situations 100 out of 100 times. If you could undo the circumstances and save yourself the heartache and save yourself the crying and the tears, you would do it. Because no matter how good the good times were, betrayal has this power over us to color our memories. Betrayal paints over the once bright and colorful memories with a black permanent marker. I bring this up because it begs the question of why. Why would Jesus go through all that in my place? Why would Jesus be betrayed in your place? Let's have that question in mind as we walk through the story Why would Jesus be betrayed in your place? As we begin our journey with Jesus, it's important to get some bearing on on what's happened so far in the book of Matthew. The book picks up on the last week of Jesus' life. He's in Jerusalem. It's the place he's already told his friends that he's going to give up his life. He's already washed the feet. He's had the last supper. And our story begins with Judas, one of his friends and disciples. And he comes with a large armed crowd with swords and clubs. And with Judas are these religious leaders, people who all throughout the book of Matthew have been trying to tear Jesus down. And so Judas arranges a signal with these people, presumably because it's, it's, it's almost too dark to see. He arranges this signal, and in a stroke of irony, Judas picks a friendly kiss as the signal. And in a way, this kiss is emblematic of Judas' entire relationship with Jesus. He is this kiss. He is something that seems familiar, something that seems friendly, but beneath the surface is betrayal. And with this kiss, Judas sells his allegiance to his lifelong friend. Jesus gets this eyes-open moment where all is made plain and all is revealed. And at this point, Jesus, all Jesus can say is, do what you came for, friend. And so Jesus allows himself to be taken, and this creates a moment of conflict both for us, the reader, and the disciples. Because as readers of the story, we think, what are you doing, Jesus? Why would you let yourself be captured? And as we wonder why, so are the disciples. One, one of his friends, uh, we know from other passages that it's Peter, uh, he totally freaks out. He sees what's going on, and it doesn't make any sense to him. And so he acts on it. He lunges forward almost as if to say, I've put my entire life in this man's hands. I've put all of my hope, all of my stake in this man being the Christ. He can't go down like this. Surely this is the climax of our story, isn't it? It's the point of the story we all wonder what's going to happen next. It's the moment that the story hinges upon. What will Jesus do? Will he join in on the fight? Will he pull out a weapon of his own and and resist arrest? Or maybe he rebukes Peter. Jesus tells him to put his sword away. And to the dismay of Peter, and I'm sure to the rest of the disciples, Jesus doesn't resist arrest. But he puts his life into the hands of these people who want him dead. Jesus also reveals that he could escape any moment if he wanted to. He says, Do you think I can't call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? He's saying to Peter, Do you really think I need the help of 12 disciples when I already have 12 armies? And it's in this that something really significant is communicated that Jesus is not captured so much that he is submitting, he's not captured so much as that he is allowing himself to be captured. And for someone like Peter and the rest of the disciples, this must have had a harrowing effect. This must have been their worst nightmare, that the pioneer of this faith that they have been following is betraying their cause. We see it in their reaction. The the very last sentence of this passage just reeks of despair. It's one of the saddest sentences in all the Bible. It says, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Once again, as with Judas, so with the rest of his friends, Jesus has an eyes open moment. He's left alone and he's deserted. And the true colors of all 12 disciples are on full display. This is a story that doesn't really make much sense to us in terms of what we think a hero should be. It rubs against what we know a hero is. Because in our eyes, heroes resist. Heroes fight. Heroes don't submit, they conquer. And so I want to cut to the heart of this passage with one question. A question that I believe Matthew wants us to answer in this passage. Why did Jesus allow himself to be betrayed? Let's explore this as we dig a little deeper. Why did Jesus allow himself to be betrayed? I think that if it were us, if we were Jesus, we would have tried to find a way to stop Judas a long time ago. We would have worked to stop Judas from handing him over we look at this story, and if we don't know the end, we think, well, it looks like Jesus just sort of bet on the wrong horse. It looks like Jesus just sort of put his faith in the wrong person. My wife and I are watching this uh, scary or horror TV series, and none of us are really, neither of us are really into horror or scary movies or anything like that, but it just speaks to how good the story of the show is. It's funny, all the context that my wife had, oh, this is just too funny to share, was that it was just a good show. And so when I put on the first episode, I mentioned something about, man, I'm really surprised that you want to watch something uh, like this. And she said, wait, this is horror? You know, she had no idea. Uh, the premise of the show is that there's a global pandemic. Relatable, right? And it's led to a zombie apocalypse of people roaming the earth. Less relatable. Um, and so it's all about survival for the people who are left. And last week, as we're watching, there's this quote that sort of stuck out to me. One of the characters said this. She said, be careful who you put your faith in. The only people who can betray us are the ones we trust. The only people who can betray us are the ones we trust. And sometimes we look at the cross and we look at Jesus' betrayal and we think, wow, I wish Jesus would have known that. I wish he could have seen this coming somehow. But it seems like Jesus does see this coming. It seems like Jesus' actions don't surprise him at all. He doesn't react like we would. He doesn't resort to violence. So as the reader, we have to assume that there's a reason for allowing himself to be captured. It's like when Luke Skywalker gets captured in Return of the Jedi, you know, the audience always assumes that the hero isn't a moron. And so we have to assume the same with Jesus, right? We have to assume that if he's allowing himself to be captured, that there is a reason. And so we hypothesize, you know, what what could these reasons be? Maybe it was a play for fame. Maybe Jesus thought that if he got an audience with the chief priests and the Romans, these powerful men, that this would cause the gospel message to be spread. Or maybe it was power. Maybe he thought, you know, these people don't like me now, but hey, if I can win them over, I win. Or maybe it was even to teach the disciples some sort of lesson about what it means to trust God. Well, the beauty of this passage is that we don't have to hypothesize. We don't have to try to make sense of it because Matthew tells us. Matthew tells us that the real reason Jesus allowed himself to be betrayed is this. So the scriptures would be fulfilled. So the scriptures would be fulfilled. I'm sure that's anticlimactic for some of you. It doesn't seem like a reason that jumps off the page. Uh, For some of you, you have no idea what this even means. It's confusing. What does it mean that the scriptures would be fulfilled? It means that this is the moment that the entire Bible points to. Because the scriptures that is the Bible, this this book that I have up here, it, it tells a story of a broken relationship. That in the beginning, man and God had a beautiful friendship. But due to sin, due to this betrayal in the garden, this relationship was forever changed. It was damaged beyond repair. But the scriptures also speak of hope. And so as you look back in the Old Testament, there there are these these twin themes of of hope and sin. They come up over and over again. And everyone in the Old Testament is wondering, how are these two themes going to be resolved? There's hope hope that one day the promised one would come and that he would would free his people. The prophet Isaiah spoke of someone he called a suffering servant who would free his people. But he would free his people not through force, but through suffering. It's interesting, not by shedding the enemy's blood, but by shedding his own blood. The scriptures being fulfilled means that one day good would win not with might, not with power, not even with strength, but in humility, that in a very unexpected and counterintuitive way, one day the good would win by suffering on behalf of the bad. Back in September, my, my brother and sister-in-law gave birth to twins. And so, as you can imagine, it's a very exciting time in my family. Uh, and I've been so encouraged that even at five months old, uh, my sister-in-law sent me a, a quote from the Jesus Storybook Bible. She's been reading the, this book to the twins. A few days ago, she sent me a quote that I felt was so fitting, not only for five months old, but for, for us as well. The quote is this. It says, it was just as God had promised to Adam and Eve all those years before. Jesus had come to do battle against the snake's work. He would get rid of the sin, he would get rid of the darkness, he would get rid of the tears, and he would suffer, but he would win. He would suffer, but he would win. And so what Jesus is saying is that this is the moment. This is the moment that all of history looks to. This is the moment that we look back on as the moment. The moment that the only good person was betrayed by the bad people for the sake of the bad people. And so he looks at Peter and the disciples. And then he turns and he looks at Jesus, or sorry, he looks at Judas and his enemies. And the crazy part is he sees no difference in the two groups. He doesn't see good and evil because the two share this common disease of sin. And as Jesus looks at them, any temptation at that point to back out is thwarted because he knows that he is their only hope. He knows that he is this promised son. He knows that he is the chosen one. And if he backs out now, if he is not betrayed, then the scriptures will not be fulfilled. And the result will be that these people will still be in their sin without relationship with God. Jesus looks at these sinners and instead of taking the easy route, he says, no, take me instead. I'll take their punishment, even if it means betrayal. So you see, Jesus wasn't motivated by self. He wasn't motivated by fame or power, or even to teach a lesson. No, his motive wasn't self-focused, but others-oriented. And dare I even say that his motive was you. Because though he had the power to change his circumstances, he refused to step down from the cross. Though he had power to change his circumstances, he chose to be betrayed. We began our time uh, this evening by looking at two elements of betrayal, broken trust and regret. And I went so far as to say that victims of betrayal would change their fate on 100 out of 100 times. I need to confess to you that I totally made up this stat. And in fact, this stat was actually incorrect. Because Jesus brings the accuracy down by one. Because in this story, we see that Jesus had no regrets. That Jesus is the one who, when given a choice to undo his betrayal, would not take it. And as we close, I want you to see that when it comes to Jesus' sacrifice for you, Jesus has no regrets that when we come to the table at Good Friday, there is no reason to feel this overwhelming guilt of, man, I really wish Jesus hadn't done that for me. Jesus had no regrets of being betrayed in your place because he knew his betrayal had a purpose. His betrayal had a purpose, his death had a purpose. And so this isn't some Greek tragedy. This isn't a story that ends with mourning. This is a heroic triumph because the same one that Isaiah calls the suffering servant is also the conquering king. The one who is described as the lamb of God is also described as the lion of Judah. And so what's our role in this? Our role is to simply humbly accept these benefits of freedom. To look to the cross and say, yeah, that was for me. Jesus was betrayed in your place so that you could be freed from your greatest problem. Because the scriptures were fulfilled, your greatest need is taken care of. Because in Jesus we see that our greatest need is not one for one justice when we're betrayed. It's not just for uh, the bad people in our lives to go away. But our greatest need is actually cosmic justice at the cross that tells us I might have been betrayed, but I trust in a God who sees me in my betrayal. I might have been betrayed, but I trust in a God who has been betrayed. I and mean, when those past feelings of, of trauma bubble up to the surface, and, and you're, you're tempted to be bitter and enraged over the people that have betrayed you, you can think, I might feel betrayed today, but I trust in a God who knows what that feels like. It's this passage that reminds us that our wisdom pales in comparison to the wisdom of God that even though we think that what we need is 12 legions of angels to change our situation, that God's wisdom is so much greater. The cross reminds us that since our true need is already taken care of, we can face betrayal like Jesus did, fully trusting the Father that justice has been served and that one day justice will finally reign. Because the scriptures were fulfilled, your greatest need is taken care of, because your salvation is paid for by the blood of one who was betrayed. In this life, full of sin and backstabbing, you might be betrayed by people. There's no sugarcoating it. Being a Christian doesn't stop being betrayed in this life. Because as long as we're alive on the earth with other sinners, we're going to face circumstances that might seem unfair. But the gospel reminds us that though you may be be betrayed, you have a God who sticks closer than a friend. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, God will never betray you. Because God turned his back on Jesus, even when he cried out, you can trust that God will never turn his back on you. And it's my prayer tonight that as as we come to terms with the cross, that you wouldn't feel guilty, but that you would see the glory of Jesus the Christ the worthiness of Jesus, the one who died in your place so that you could go free, the king who left his throne to save the ones who betrayed him. I want your heart to leap at his name so that with scar you too can whisper, long live the king. Let's pray. Father, this is a heavy word and and one that is difficult to accept. God, I pray now for the one who is struggling with this news that that betrayal is a reality and that we at times have all hurt people, that we at times have hurt you. God, we pray that this news would not lead us to depression, but that it would lead us ultimately to you. And so God, I pray for the one who is wrestling that they would find someone here to talk to that they would find a home here, that they would see that this is not a place of of, of perfect people, but that this is a hospital for sinners. God, we pray that we could always listen to your gospel and always see our great need and that as we see that you have satisfied our needs at the cross, that we would worship you and that we would be humble and that um, that we would be able to forgive our debtors as well. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for bringing us here tonight. To your son's name we pray, amen.